Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Slap it like it's hot. Are you saying slap it like it's hot or swipe it like it's hot? Slap. Slap. Okay, good. Because I, I thought I heard you say swipe it like it's hot. And I'm like, <laughs> I like that. What does that mean? <laughs> swipe it like it's hot. Which just makes me think of like a horrible, I guess now we would call it sexual harassment from like high school and college. Did you ever have that happen to you where people like swipe at the credit card? Oh, yeah. 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 It's unfortunate. It's true. Don't do that. Kids. There's a lot Don't of, you that. know, there's a lot of things that we were we talking about or are Mike and I talking about. Sometimes I, I have mom brain. But uh, yeah, we were talking about like how in high school, I think it was with you, just like a lot more sexual uh Oh yeah, Deviance. like well, you, you got like de pants. Oh yeah, I got my ass pinched all the you. time. It's craziness. But now I'm—I mean, like now, <laughs> I'm a mom, and no one's grabbing my ass. But if they did, I'd be ready. I'd be ready. I'd That's punch right. Him. You'd be ready. You actually, got, my you husband got... still grabs my ass. Oh, good, good, good. So there's my rom for the week. I'm just kidding. My rom is this. My husband still grabs my ass. Okay, guys, today yes. we are covering, I'm just going to, I'll let you know what we're covering because yeah. it's part of my rom. We are covering my big fat Greek wedding for the rom portion that will inspire Avrin's crime. And I'm so excited mm-hmm. to hear your crime. But the I rewatched this movie and I've seen it quite a few times. It came out in 20, 2002, but it's just such a, like a family, it, it, what it is, the rom, not a romantic love here, but just love in general. It is making me miss my family. And I'm so excited. I'm probably seeing them at this moment as you're listening to this. And oh, that's right. Yeah. We'll be together. Yeah. That's I just, so wonderful. I have a big Armenian and non-Armenian family, but we have a big, loud, kind of annoyingly wonderful family. So it's like I do miss that. When you're not around, I live far away, so I don't get all that. I am not around them enough to even get annoyed, you know? As right, yeah. Tula does in my big fat Greek wedding, but and then my crime. Can I say my crime? Please, please. Oh, do. so I, the crime is against. I'm an idiot. Like I'm, I'm self. I'm self criming. I'm criming myself because I feel like all my life, Avrin. This is serious. This is serious conversation. Mm-hmm, I don't know how to talk to a hairstylist. I think maybe it's my fault. I don't know how to do it. Anyways, I'm. I have something booked for like after my my. I come back from holiday, but I'm like I really wanted to get my hair done before I left, but I had this horrible experience with this other person. Um, so I'm like all nervous, but then I, in, I'm in my head now. I'm like, do I, did I do it? Like, cause I was texting this new person who's supposed to be wonderful and she's very sweet. I talked to her on the phone and I, she was like, can you send me pictures of your hair? And she's like, I set, thought I explained what I wanted and I don't think I did it correctly. Why can't I tell them what I want? And then if I do tell them, I always get talked out all my life, always get talked out of whatever I'm asking for. 
Why? That's so rude. And it's hilarious that you mentioned that as your crime because both my ROM and my crime have to do with my hair. Oh my God, tell me. I want to know. So my ROM is um, I got my my hair was well overdue. I went for color, but also, you know, I got the bangs. I needed the bang it's trim. I was cute. Like, I'm it looking off. at you I'm, and you're looking good. Oh, you're sweet. I'm rocking like a little shoulder length. I love uh, it. You know, I got rid of all that scraggly see-through parts at the end so of my cute. hair. Um, and so my ROM is I'm obsessed with my hair stylist Yay. jen uh Hi, she's jen. awesome and all we do is talk about like true crimes that's right and, she like, loves true crime too right yes and like the the movies the the podcasts the things that we're watching and so that's my rom is that i just got to go sit Yay. you know and hang out with a wonderful 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 stylist i don't know if i didn't ask permission to blow her up on here so i'm not going to say where she works but <laughs> shout out to jen if you're listening to this and then my crime is that i don't know how to do what jen does when i get home and i have to shower oh yeah <laughs> Yeah. Like, oh, you mean like soon, doing the hair that they, how they, yeah. 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 Like I walked out of there looking <laughs> like I had like the most perfect, like shiny, beautiful oh. hair. I took a shower. I've used product. I blow dried with the diffuser and I still just look like kind of a frizzy mess. <laughs> Somebody actually told me last night and I know he meant it as a compliment because he kept telling me he meant it as a compliment. Oh, God. But he was like, he was like, you're giving me such uh courtney love from whole vibes right now oh. and i was like oh geez thank you so much i know and he kept being like and i mean that as a compliment and i was like i know what you're saying um i don't know how to do my hair and apparently i look like a stringy and grungy and like i didn't just shower right before this oh my so, god that's my crime also that guy was my crime yeah, for say, i mean i love courtney love and i love whole I but too. i was not but i wasn't going for that hair no that wasn't the hair vibes ex, you know compared to her. That was like not my hair vibes that I was going for. So I was a little bit like, okay, I guess it's better than like, I don't know, old lady Bob, which yes. I had before too. All right. Welcome oh to gosh. Rom Crime. I Rom love Grindles. you. I miss you. Oh my God. Okay. I, so I had too. so much fun editing that video with you, by the way. Um, I feel like we need to do, so our friend Lindsay, she had mentioned, she had messaged on our, um, whatever Instagram post about with our our lip syncing and she's like oh it reminds me of when I was little when I watched the bodyguard and I was doing those mirror bathroom like lip syncing and I'm like oh my god I think that needs to be just the hashtag that we use every once in a while anytime a movie has like a epic song I'm gonna do it and guess what yes it just makes me happy and I hope it makes you guys happy but it really just tickles me deep real deep I was so into it, girl. I came home from seeing my my hairstylist who made me feel so purdy. And then I was like, giant box fan. Ring light. Oh, yeah. Good job. <laughs> Trying to like get my hair blowing in the wind. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't remember, actually. Like, don't they shoot like the music video of that in the movie? Probably. I and was going to watch it. I remember it, there being but... wind. Yeah. There's definitely wind. There's lots of like cross dissolves and lots of like long looks. Anyways. And also like amazing. full confession, I did a full video of the wrong song first because oh. for some reason. Did you do I, I Want to Run to You? I sure did. <laughs> I have a whole video of me lip syncing I Want to Run to You. And then I was like, this doesn't feel like what we were singing along to in the episode. <laughs> oh my Luckily, gosh. I figured that out before I sent it well, to Well, guys. You. I love it. Thank you for listening, everybody. Hey, this week, here we go. It is hot. It is summer. And we are getting down and dirty with some big fat Greek wedding. Woo! Um, I did not have a... Uh, I'm not Greek. I'm Armenian. But uh, I have some feelings of similarities a little bit to this movie. Because my, my husband, is he doesn't look like John Corbett. But he he has like a John Corbett vibe, you know. I totally see that. And you know, he he was that it's thing, like a young John Corbett. Totally, like at, my husband Adam was like he's a tall, sweet. Um, I'm trying to think of the nice way to put it, but just like a nice person, you know. He's just like hi oh, doo doo. <laughs> you know, I don't know. He's he's not like that. He's very he's like smart and sharp. But like when I met him, I was like this person. But just so very nice. kind. Yeah. yeah, he's very kind and genuine. He is, and he really loves um, Middle Eastern Armenian food. So he was like that was another part that I really loved about him, which reminds me. So this movie was out in 2002, like I said. Which mm -hmm. by the way, I got married in 2003, so I think I was like kind of I'm sure I watched this movie and just was like oh my god <laughs> and by the way if you haven't seen my big fat Greek wedding you can watch it for free on HBO Max it is available uh, nice. I just watched with my actually my daughter and my son because I'm alone with them and I was like I gotta watch this and it's not bad like I forward oh, it gets no. a little sexy which I kind of love you know because Tula 
played by Nia yeah. N- Nia Vardalos is the main uh, character who plays Tula. And by the way, she wrote it. She wrote the screenplay first, and then mm-hmm. didn't get any traction. So she decided, I'm just going to write a one woman show because it's kind of about her life. And then um, Rita. Oh my God, Wilson! Thank you, Rita Wilson saw the one woman show, and her and Tom Hanks then produced it, and it was only made for five million dollars. Like it was an indie, but it mm-hmm. was one of those indies that was like a smash hit. Like yeah, didn't it break like all the records? It did. Like, for, like so rom coms, people got rich. Yeah, which I on this kind of movie that makes me really happy. And <laughs> okay, so one thing. Um, you know, I was kind of talking to my daughter. She's learning a little bit about theater. And we were talking about costumes and how Tula in the beginning is this like frumpy. She's in like an ugly outfit. And then, you know, she becomes as she she works in her family's shop. Uh, it's a Greek restaurant called Dancing Zorba's. And her dad's like a not, I don't want to say overbearing, but he's like the king of the castle in his house in their house. And so anyway, she's there. They're the dad and on the aunties and the uncle and the mom are all talking about how she's 30 god forbid she hasn't found a man yet and you see her while they're like in a booth chatting about this they're like we're trying to get her to go to greece but she won't go and uh meanwhile she just looks like i mean they're really like you know they doubted her in true rom-com fashion but i will say i do as it is on the nose i do like the transformation i think it's like it's well deserved, but but I was saying I talked to my daughter a little bit about costumes, and this is how you, you kind of like you know indicate that this person's going mm-hmm. through a thing. It was pretty cute, but then she goes, "Mom, um, her nose is like yours a little bit." I was like, "Yeah." So so she was one of the first people I saw on TV that wasn't playing whatever kind of character that was kind of she's comedic that kind of looked like me, and I felt like, oh, I could do what she does, but yes. you know, I don't know, I was. Just write that one woman show, Vanya. I know. Mine's just going to be about like uh, lots of yelling. I don't know. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, but it's, but it's really cute. So <laughs> so anyways, she's this is a young woman who still lives at home. She's Greek. She lives like everyone she knows is Greek. All of her brother, all of her, sorry, excuse me, sister, Mary, Greek, Greek. Everyone she, every family member has married a Greek person. Um, well, she falls in love with a non-Greek man and his name is Ian, but a.k.a. John Corbett, the Mm -hmm. most perfect person. I mean, he is, he really like, she's great in this because she's so genuine and you can't even act some of the things that she did. You know, it's like she was really like, it's like her life. She was living living it. it. And he really sold it. You know, I believed, I believed it. You know, you believe that he loved her and was like willing to do what needed to be done to make this family love him too. That's right. He said, I came alive because she always has a little bit, you know, doubts. Um, but he's like, I came alive when I met you. I love you. You know, it's like, honestly. And then I felt a little bit like, Ooh, my daughter's, she was like, this is so great, mom. I love this. And meanwhile, right. like two days ago, she's like, I'm never getting married. I'm like, great. Don't do it. I don't know. You know, I'm not trying to yeah. listen. Live I was like, your best do whatever life, you want to do. But now she's like, I just don't want her to be swept into a fantasy. And then later on when we're having dinner, she's like, it's just so nice that he did whatever it took to be with her. I was like, oh, that is nice. Look at your sweet baby girl. She is being a like, sweetie. I recognize what's important in this love story we just watched together. She did, yeah. But I did in the beginning when the dad, the um, Greek dad is like saying basically that you're not really worth much if you're not married. And I was like, I'm pausing this and I'm letting you know, you know that's not real, right? I, you know, maybe old people, older people think that or whatever. If they think that way, there's, that's just not right. So right. you're like, the point of this movie is to change daddy's mind about a lot of exactly. things. And that's one of the things that he needs to change his mind about. Exactly. And so speaking of changing his mind, he, she wants to start taking courses uh, because apparently in university or wherever she went to school, I'm assuming she went to university, she was really good in computers and her aunt, uh, her auntie does like has like a travel agency so she's like you know I really want to I want to go back to school or I want to go take some courses at the community college to get some more computer skills or whatever and the dad says why you want to leave me (laughs) and I'm like here's the thing guys I know my dad does not listen to this podcast but my dad has he has he has done things kind of like that when I was in my 20s and like whatever, when, when I moved to New York. This is mm-hmm. a real thing. And the guy who plays uh, her dad, it he, not when I was in my 20s, but like now-ish is kind of looking similar to him. It was, I cried a little bit at the end because I was like, this is like my dad. Aww. And the mom is saying, you know, you're like this because you're like my side. You're like my side, which is something my family is always saying. Oh, you're right. like me. You're like my side. It's just, I swear to God, like 
um, Nia Vardalos talks about how she thought she was writing a script about her family, but really she was writing a script about your family. Like everybody in the, that's why it was an international success because so many people to relate to this like patriarch situation where everything Mm -hmm. was like blah, blah, blah. Or your crazy family and all their antics and all their like specific traditions. Every family's got them, you know? Yep. And so the mother convinces the dad and so she goes to school and then Tula's mom and aunt have to make up. So, so she realizes, you know, I can help you, Auntie. I can help you run this business. I'm taking this like tourism and computers course or whatever. But they have the mom and the aunt have to like Jedi mind trick the dad to make him think he came up with the idea for them to do it for her to it that in- right. irritates the shit out of me. But anyways, as she's working at this travel agency and she's doing great, she's looking cute. She's wearing makeup. She has her eyebrows. She gets her eyebrows tweezed or waxed because that's another fun uh, Armenian thing that I also went through. I was like, oh, <laughs> and then you have to be careful because if you're like my sister, hi, Sylvia, I love you so much, over tweezed uh-huh. in the 90s. And then you had to kind of like figure that out for the rest of your life. But anyway, I digress. I am so sorry. She's at the tra- travel agency and oh, well, I should mention she meets John Corbett like briefly in her restaurant when she's the dowdy girl and she basically just freezes up and can't really talk to him. Cut to the months later. Now they're in, you know, she's working. He's walking by and he cites her and kind of smiles at her. There's like a stand outside where he got some food and he's like trying to get her attention. And eventually, mm-hmm. you know, they uh, he, he's trying to be funny and he's trying to do the I'm going downstairs like he's outside. Right. Um, <laughs> he uh, gets beat up by an old lady. So it's pretty cute. And then <laughs> and then she also gets, uh, you know, she's trying to run away from him. And she gets like cut off by her headset. It's cute. They go on a date, guys. It goes well. He's asking her immediately for a second date, which is kind of that thing when you are sort of dating somebody, who it's going well. So second date is happening and he's she, he's like, oh, I know this great Greek place called Dancing Zorba's. And I like this about the script is where she's like, you know what, that I my family were, owns that place. Uh, I, you know, and he's like, oh, yeah, I do recognize you. And she's like, yeah, I was that frumpy girl or whatever. And he's like, no, I didn't. don't remember you being that way. But anyway, so she owns up to it right away. It wasn't some weird, like, trying to keep right. it. She's not like, oh, I hate Greek food. Yeah. Ugh. yeah. No. She's like, actually, that's my family's restaurant. That's right. So they go on many dates. Every time he drops her off, they're at, they, you know, she makes him drop him off a couple houses down, drop her off a couple houses down, and they're making out. And each session each time it's a make out more make out more and there's one where she's walking funny because she wants to do more than making out and Mm -hmm. then the family finds out because she was making out in a Denny's parking lot and got back to her the dad is very upset mom asks her to end it now and she's like I love him which is very sweet and the mom's like oh Tula eat something you know (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, don't love him and then we have the next montages of like all the the parents trying oh it's just it's the finding her a Greek man montage, basically. It's like the grossest mm-hmm. men who are like way older. Like if she's 30, a couple of them were like 50, 60. And I'm saying there's nothing wrong with that. But like. But she said she's in love with yes, her boyfriend. So exactly. like back the F up, mom and dad. In the meantime, Tula and Ian do, you know, seal the deal. They bone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They bone. They make love. They make love. Um, he has her over to his parents. Ian does. And the parents are very sweet, very waspy and quiet and funny. Um, the, Ian and Tula love each other. He asks her after post-coital. That's basically me saying post-post. Post-coital that he, he's like, will you marry me? It's such a sweet it's scene. It's such a cute scene. Like in the, They're in like, they're, in they're still in bed, right? Doesn't he like pop up? From like underneath the sheets yeah. with like the little ring box. Yeah. And I just remember being like, that's very intimate and wonderful. I like that so much. And, you know, she says yes, And of in course. 2002, I was in college and I don't think I really understood what intimacy or yeah. wonderful intimacy was. But I just remember being like, that felt like a real romantic effing proposal. Yeah. Goddamn. I, I that's f- good. I really I have to give I it was to the really into, I, have, I was really into John Corbett because of yeah. Sex and the City Oh, me too. Well, so. Me too. And then at this point, she wants to elope because she's like, you know what? My family's crazy. You don't want this. You don't, you don't, or, or, you know, you don't, they, they have this idea of what they want this wedding to be. This is another thing. It doesn't matter what your background is, but oftentimes families have an idea of what they want the wedding to be. You, you know, you just like, it would be so much easier if we eloped. He's like, no, I would let's not do that. We, I want to do, I'll do whatever it takes for her family to, for your family to accept me. 
And so then he gets baptized in the Greek Orthodox Church, which is a mm-hmm. hilarious scene. He's a grown man sitting in a little tub getting baptized. It's very right, sweet. Which is so interesting because I know. So now my sister Jenna oh, yeah. married, married into a Greek family and she too had to convert to Greek Orthodox. I don't, I'm sure she was baptized. I don't think she, I don't. I guess I'll have to call her and ask her. I don't think she was dunked in yeah. a tub. Yeah, oftentimes it's just like the head, I think. Right, you know? like they, they pour the water over your head. Yeah. You know, like they anoint you with the with the, the water. It's intense, But yeah, though. I'll have to ask her, though, because I'll be like, wait a minute, as an adult, do they just like dunk you in a pool? Because yeah. if you want to get married in the church, you got to, right? You have to. That's yeah, what it is. You have to be of the faith. I'm, a, I'm actually, I'm baptized Armenian Orthodox, which is fun. And my cousin was as well, but he married someone who is... I think, or maybe it's the opposite. He was he was baptized Greek Orthodox, and he married someone who was Armenian Orthodox, and he had to get rebaptized for the Armenian Orthodox. So it's some technical stuff out there, guys. Yeah. Um, if you want to get married in that church, there's some things you're gonna yeah. have to do. <laughs> um, okay, so the wedding planning gets out of control. The family takes over. There's ugly dresses. There's ugly wedding invitations. There's don't they like misspell his mom? Oh my name? God! Yes, Harry. It's like. I forget the guy's name. Dad's name is like Randolph and Harry, but the mom's name is Harriet. <laughs> they never fix it. Um, <laughs> then they have parents, or sorry, Ian's parents over to Tula's to parents, to meet the yeah. parents. But instead of it just being like an intimate thing, he, they invite their entire Greek family. So it's overwhelming. It's uh, To me, it seems like a, a blast. Super fun. It's kind of good. You get the chaos, get it out of the way. <laughs> the parents are a little shell-shocked, but they drink enough ouzo to make it, you know, okay. Good. They, 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 they leaned in. Exactly. And then it's the wedding day, and she's gorge, but she's got a little zit, but she's going to be okay. Um, and then as she's walking down the aisle in this, like, gargantuan intense insanity of a dress, which, by the way, fun fact, it was auctioned years later for $1.2 million or some crazy thing. And they bought it off the rack for like $2,000, the costume designers. What? Can you tell I love that's, costumes? Yes. <laughs> it's so silly. But that's hilarious because it is a bad dress. I mean, it's like, it's just a lot, you know? It's a lot. Right. It's. It, I mean, it's a vibe. And yeah. I guess maybe if it's your vibe, then it's a beautiful dress worth $1.2 million. Yeah. But if you're like a more subtle uh-huh. bride... I, I just feeling... I love that moment where she just comes, she just oh, embraces yeah. it. She's like, I'm wearing this dress. That's because true. I'm wearing this dress. <laughs> yep. Because you know what? John Corbett could get his little butt in, in, in a pool yep. and baptize for her. She could do the same for her family. And then we're at the reception and the dad presents. This is when I got like, this is when I got misty. The dad mm-hmm. presents with his wife, but it's really from him, a gift. And it's the deed to a freaking house. Like, and that's when John Corbett or Ian's like, they bought us a house <laughs> yeah, and they have a, nice a really gift. sweet moment, a little hug. And it's just something that my parents, I felt, I felt this guy and my dad so much and then they dance and it's a blast. And then we cut to like, I want to say six years later, they have a kid and it's this cute little six year old kid and they're walking her to Greek school. And she's like, why do I have to go to Greek school? Which is the same thing. She, we see her as a kid in the beginning of the movie. And she's like, listen, you just got to go. But here's the thing. You can marry whoever you want to. Yeah. And then the credits roll. It is a sweet ass movie. It makes me feel I just it like I said it was it makes me miss my family and I just I love the intimacy of and like uh open like too much openness as a in a big family. It's just good yeah. stuff. Yeah. And you have a yeah, big family too, right? I do have a big family. I have a very big family that we're we're not Greek except for I guess one my of sister. them. My <laughs> sister is now Greek through marriage. Um, but yes, I do know what it's like to have a very big, very like, I think present is the word. Yeah. Like when you're in the presence of my family, you you can't not know that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean that as a compliment. Same with us. I love my same family. with mine. Because yeah. yeah, we're loud. We love each other. We like to have fun. Yeah. You same know? with like us. We're, we're, we're a noticeable crew. Yeah. <laughs> Just like these, this family. I loved this movie too. I had such a funny time trying to figure out which crime I wanted to do. Right. So I'll tell you guys, I'll tell you guys as I do, like how I, my process went. So obviously this movie centers around, it's called My Big Fat Greek Wedding. It's around a wedding. So I wasted an entire afternoon watching several episodes of a show. Um, I guess it's on NBC maybe, or Oxygen or something called um, uh, Marriage and Murder. Oh. Um, I, I saw a lot of horrible stories. None of them felt, like the appropriate type of story to tell that could in any way other than the fact that they were married couples or about to be married, be married, married couples, married couples, couples. Um, but I did waste a whole day pretty much uh, doing that. 
which, you know, I love I love a day wasted watching true crime documentaries. So I wasn't mad about it, but I was like, shit. Yeah, I didn't find it. And I kept like, I didn't even finish all of them. You know, I'd like give it a start. And w- if I could immediately tell, I'd be like, okay, sorry, I'll, I'll come back to this because I'd like to know what happens. But this isn't going to work. Then I got a real crazy idea. And I was like, has Windex ever been a murder weapon? Ooh, that's fun. I did not. The dad is always, yes. the dad in the movie is always movie. trying to fix something with Windex. Basically for him, Windex cures everything. Um, I could not find a case where uh, Windex was a murder weapon. I did find a story about a South Carolina university student studying in the UK who was caught on hidden camera by her roommates. They were fighting a lot. They were trying to get her to move out and they felt like she was doing something to their food. So they set up hidden cameras and she was not only spitting in their food, a rude, (gasps) but she was spritzing their food with Windex and she was arrested. Now, I guess like the amount she was using was never going to kill anyone or do anything like that. Uh, she was able to kind of like pl- like plea all the way down to just, you know, she never went to jail or even to trial or anything. I think she had to do some like probation. Weird. So finally I was like, okay, what else other than obviously the family? At the crux of this is this big family that all runs a restaurant together. And the importance of like keeping that restaurant in the family and like work for me and how they have to trick the dad into letting her work for her aunt. So she's still working for her family, but in a different business. So, Vanya, have you ever heard of the Zanku chicken murders? Um, okay, so my friend Shelly, like, I want to say two years, maybe a year ago. I think it was maybe around a year ago. She's like, oh, you got to. I, I, so I, I've only heard about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a Zanku chicken right near where we live. Right. So for those <laughs> of you who don't live in the Los Angeles area or maybe uh, haven't heard about this for the times you visited, Zanku chicken is kind of like, um, it's like an L.A. institution, Basically, yeah. they're known for their um, their roast chicken and most specifically their garlic paste that they give you it's when you good. get their chicken or whenever you get whatever you get. You get a little garlic paste. Now, if you're smart, you'll spend five extra dollars and get a giant tub of it so that you can put it on everything you eat for like the next week. Yeah, it's really um, But good. it was like one of those... Uh, one of those places, you know, it's kind of like fast foodie. It's in, it's out. It's not like a go sit down and dine restaurant. It's inexpensive and um, it's delicious and high quality food. And it's kind of has like a cult status. Like there are songs about it. There's poems about it. Uh, there's funny. not been a movie made about it. But, you know, who knows? That could come next. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you, uh, you like Zanku chicken. I feel like I've seen you and your husband when I was I watching your kiddos. I think I got kiddos. it for us once. I feel like, and I, I feel yeah, like I you guys it. would come home with it a lot. It's just good. Yeah. It's easy. It's like pretty light. You know, it's, it's roasted easy. chicken. Yeah. And you can get salad. I don't get the, I don't get the pita bread, but I just get the, the but the kids like it. So any, if they eat anything, I'm like, I'll get it. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> but it's good food. It's really good food. So next time you're in Los Angeles, uh, try out some Zanku chicken. Literally just like the garlic paste. I, I, I could dip a That's piece true. of cardboard in that and be like, this is the best cardboard I've ever had. Okay, so before we get started, I got all of my information from an article in Los Angeles Magazine called The Zanku Chicken Murders, written by um, Mark Arax, Eric's, A-R-A-X. It came out on April 1st of 2008. Um, if you type in Zanku Chicken Murders, this will be the first thing that pops up because I'll, okay. I'll mention at the end of all of this that there's a lot I'm not even going to touch but if this story fascinates you, you should read this whole article because it's beautifully written. Um, and I will fully at times let you know when I'm just stealing from it and reading excerpts so that I'm not plagiarizing anyone. Okay. So the first Sanku Chicken was opened by Vartkes, and I'm sorry if I b- butcher these names, uh, was opened by Vartkes and Marguerite Iskandarian in 1962 in the Armenian neighborhood of Burj Hamoud in Beirut, Lebanon. Now, the article in LA Magazine describes this first restaurant as, quote, there was no cash register, no table, no chairs. They used every square foot to clean and salt the chickens, roast them inside a pair of rotisserie ovens, and keep the golden brown holes and halves warm. Customers parked on the one-way street, ran in, handed the cash to Mardiro's father, and ran out with their steaming birds and dollops of pungent garlic paste. So that's how the article describes that very first Zanku chicken in Beirut. Which I love. It's like they had a drive through restaurant before that was a thing. Yeah, yeah. So Vargas and Marguerite had three children, two daughters, uh, Zovig and Hagen, and their oldest child was a son named Marderos. Now, Marderos' position in the family as the firstborn and only son gave him a kind of like exalted status, if you will. He yeah. was the prince, the pasha. I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation of that. So 
Margeris was known around this, you know, neighborhood and town where his family's very successful restaurant was as a playboy, kind of a rabble rouser, got into trouble here and there. All the girls loved Margeris, okay? And when Rita was just 12 years old, she saw Margeris and immediately fell in love. And she described him as, quote, again from the article, for me, he was the most beautiful guy in the world. Nobody was like him. His smile was gorgeous. His hair was gorgeous. He wore the most beautiful perfume. He was always dressed in Pierre Carden or something. And when he would open his mouth, out came the charm. What more did a young girl want? So, Mardiros lived in a rooftop apartment across the alley from where Rita lived with her family. So she's this little 12-year-old girl living with her family in Beirut. And across the alley is this gorgeous old older man. You know, he's, I believe seven years older than her so when she was 12 he was like 19 but I get it when you're 12 you're like oh my god sure. he's perfect he's so pretty um, and she was very much feeling that way um, now as Rita grew up she blossomed into a tall beauty and when she turned eight uh, around the time she was 18 years old she and Mardiro started to see each other in secret sound familiar Mm-hmm. So her parents were strict Catholics and they forbade her from dating any boys much less like a grown man at, right. at 18. Like this is a guy in his 20, mid-20s. She's not even allowed to date boys. She's certainly not allowed to date this playboy who's not a boy. He's a man. Um, so they would, you know, sneak around and Mardiros would toss love letters that he'd stuff into empty cologne bottles from his balcony to her balcony. And uh, they got away with this for three months. They kept their relationship a secret for three months until a nosy neighbor spotted Rita in Margeros's car and told her parents. And it was a oh. thing, you guys. It was a scandal. The families were yelling at each other and threatening each other. But alas, Rita's parents became convinced that she she really was truly in love with this person. And they relented and they gave their blessing and they were like, all right, fine. You are an adult. Do your thing. And so when Rita was 19 and Margeros was 26, they got married. Now, they shared a two-bedroom walk-up um, above the Zanku chicken. They shared this two-bedroom walk-up with Margeros's parents, his two sisters, and his mother's mother, so his grandmother. Oh, Lord. Who had um, actually been a survivor of the Armenian genocide. Uh, and this is something Rita told LA Magazine. Quote, before we married, he told me, I am going to live with my parents my whole life. I will never leave my mother. And Rita's, again, she, that's her quoting him. And then she said, I figured this was my, now Vanya, help me out here, P-A-K-H-T, Pacht? P, say it again, P-A-K-H. P-A-K-H-T is how it's spelled. T, like as in. Yeah, it's probably like Pacht. Pacht, okay. I figured this was my Pacht, but it was too much. My mother, my mother, she was the queen of the house, not me. Next to God, it was his mother. So already I feel like we're getting such a picture here. We've got an you know, an el- oldest child who's also the only son who's treated like a prince who basically tells his new bride, by the way, my allegiance will always be to my mother overall. Sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. Sounds very like oakley dokley. Um, I guess this is what we're doing. So now while Margiros and his parents were running the Zanku chicken, Rita took care of their baby boy, their infant son, Degron, and she looked after Marguerite's mother. So Margiros's grandmother, she actually took care of the I guess it would be, yeah, the grandmother. Yeah. It was 1975, and civil war was raging in Lebanon. But the Iskandarians didn't want to leave because Zangu Chicken was a gold mine, and they were making so much money they had invested in several properties throughout Beirut. But this all changed in 1979. Margeros was sitting outside one of their empty storefronts, because I mentioned they purchased a bunch of properties, not a block away from Zanku, when two men on motorcycles sped by. And basically... There was a dispute over rent with an Armenian tenant, uh, and they were the people on the motorcycle, and they basically like were wearing masks, holding AK-47s. They drove around the block. They circled oh, back no. again, and they fired dozens of rounds, and they hit Mardiros 16 times. <gasps> and mi- miraculously, he survived this. What? But this was the catalyst that the family was finally like, it is, I think it is too dangerous for us to continue to stay in Beirut. So they relocate to America, to Los Angeles more specifically. So Varkis and Marguerite decide now that they're starting all over again in America, they don't want to do the restaurant thing. It's hard work. It's 100 hours a day. It's your whole life. It's all you do. They're not, they're not going to do it. They came with tons of money. They don't, you know, they don't need to like jump right in. So they're like, we're going to try different things. So at first they're like, we want to run a dry cleaning store. 
So they start a little dry cleaning store, but the chemicals that you use in dry cleaning made uh, Margeros, their oldest son, who was helping them run this business, really sick. And so they were like, oh, I guess we can't do that. So then they looked into getting into the suit business, even traveling to like Hong Kong to like meet with suit makers. But it was just all super complicated. And at the same time, Margeros is noticing that aside from just him and his family, there is a ton, a growing number of Middle Eastern immigrants moving to the Los Angeles area. And there is this gap in the food market because Mm. there was already very little in the way of Middle Eastern restaurants. And there were zero Middle Eastern restaurants that could compete with the various fast food chains that littered Los Angeles. All right. So this is an excerpt from L.A. Magazine. So in 1983, he went to his parents and pitched the idea. His father resisted. His mother cried. They threatened to return to Beirut. In the end, sensing their son's resolve, they consented. He picked a tiny place next to a laundromat on the corner of Sunset and Normandy. Sidebar, this restaurant is still in that exact location. Could there have been an uglier mini mall in all of Hollywood? (laughs) And erected a sign with block letters in blue and red, Zanku Chicken. Before long, the Arabs and Persian Jews and Armenians found it. So did Mexican gangbangers and nurses from Kaiser Permanente and the flock (laughs) from L. Ron Hubbard's church who methodically polished off their plates of chicken shawarma, hummus, and pickled turnips and returned to their (laughs) e-meters with a clearness that only uh, Marguerite's paste could bring. That's That's amazing. So word of a new kind of fare, fast and tasty and light, spread to the critics. The L.A. Times would call it the best roast chicken in town at any price. Zagat would anoint Zanku one of America's best meal deals. But no one was more breathless in his praise than, of course, the guerrilla warrior of city chowhounds, Jonathan Gold, who called the chicken superb and said, quote, nothing in heaven or on earth compared with the garlic paste. Wow. That's the end of that little excerpt from the That's from the amazing. Article. Yeah. Good writer. Good writer, sir. You did a good job. So people became obsessed with this garlic paste, right? But the recipe is a family secret, and they would never fully like come out and say what was in it. But people were like, we're going to figure this out. Like some people yeah. froze it and tried to like break it down at a molecular level. People were convinced it was either thickened with like maybe potatoes because it does have, you know, like the texture. I could see that potentially. Yeah. Like there's an almost like maybe like kind of a gummy mashed potato, if you would, like texture. Mm-hmm. It's a paste. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people thought it was thickened with mayonnaise. Um, other people thought maybe they had like a secret special type of olive oil that they would use. But Margeros insisted that the ingredients were simple and fresh. We use no shortcuts or fillers. The magic is in my mother's right hand, which was the hand she would stir the paste with. Wow. So now Zanku chicken was a huge success. It made over $2 million a year, over half of which was pure profit. Holy So moly. like they're making over a million dollars in just profit. That's Back like in what the 80s. That's, yeah, back in the 80s. Um, and now in Margeros' mind, uh, the family is growing. The business has got to grow too. And he's basically saying like we need to franchise or add more locations. Let's duplicate this success. His parents fought the idea of expansion, but he kept pushing it. And in 1991, the family agreed to, to a split. So what was going to happen is Margeros would take the Zanku chicken concept and he could build as many of them as he wanted across the region. Any new restaurants that he opened, success or failure, would belong solely to him. In return, though, he was going to sign over. They had like a 60-40. Dad had 60%. He had 40% stake in the original Zanku chicken. Uh-huh. And, and he would sign over his stake, give it back to his dad and mom, who would now be 100% the owners of the original East Hollywood Zanku chicken, um, along with his sisters. And that was kind of the deal. That's how he convinced them. Like, I will give up my share of the original and I will take personal responsibility and be the sole owner of all the subsequent Zanku chickens. Now, there's this was not bad. There was no, like, animosity. Yeah. And, and obviously, like, it was still a restaurant where, like, I mean, his mom was going to prepare the garlic paste used in anything that he opened. And they were going to use the exact same recipes, exact same ingredients. It was going to be the same food. That was kind of the point. You know, she was still going to, but she was still going to make that paste for him, even though she was like, I don't think we should do this. Um But she didn't give him the recipe? Only she knew it? Well, I guess the whole family, like, they know what what it is because obviously she's no longer with us and it still gets made. But I guess, like, at the time, like, the only thing they could think of that was a secret in it was, like, the way his mother made it. It wasn't ingredients. It was, like, her way of making it. And I'm sure, like, he did, his sisters did. They knew what she was doing. 
and they've continued to like make the paste the same yeah, way. Yeah. Um, and so, as I mentioned, she was still going to be preparing the garlic paste for all the restaurants. And as a favor to his sister Zovig, he actually like hired her on to manage some of his new store. So it was still a family business, even though technically they did this like split where it was like original Zanku, the OG Zanku owners, all new Zankus belongs to Mardiros. Now, the second Zanku chicken location was real obvious to Mardiros. He was going to open one in Glendale because outside of Armenia, the areas of Glendale and East Hollywood are home to like more Armenians than anywhere else. Yeah. Than anywhere in the world outside of Armenia. So like, that is where that he knew that was like a no brainer. So he basically like picked a mini mall squeeze behind a gas station and he opened Zanko number two. And as soon as that one made money, he found a spot in Van Nuys and he opened Zanko number three. And then came Zanko number four in Anaheim and Zanko number five in Pasadena. So now there's five Zanko chickens. They're doing really well, like super rich. They're living in mansions. They have like spoiled rich kids at this point because all of their kids have been raised like wealthy you know, the sons yeah. of the of the chicken of the chicken king, if you will. Uh, <laughs> but it doesn't it's not that kind of rich that's like we let our money make money. Like these people are working. They're spending 12 hours yeah. a day like, you know, she's make his mama's making the paste. He is going from location to location, making sure all the ingredients are the same everywhere that everyone's doing it right. He actually would like time how long from the moment a customer walked in till they walked out with their food. And if he didn't think it was fast enough, he'd be like, chop, chop, chop. Like, you know, yeah. So they're like. They're not having a lot of leisure time and he's not having a whole lot of like at home with the family time, but he is a success. Now, the pain in Marderos's groin area had been bothering him for a while, but he was busy building his empire. So he ignored it until unfortunately it was too late. He went to the doctor and was diagnosed with inoperable bladder and brain cancer. And there was nothing that could be done. So he called a family meeting. And this is another excerpt from the LA Magazine article. He was going to fight it, he said, but if he died, he wanted them to know this, them meaning his family. His sons, Dikren, who was 25, Steve, who was 23, Ara, who was 18, and Varkis, who was 17, would be taking over his Zankus. So that's what he wanted his family to know. When I die, my four sons, they will inherit all of this. The room fell silent. His sisters, Zovig and Hagen, seemed tongue-tied. His mother sat stone-faced. She didn't ask what kind of cancer he had or what kind of prognosis the doctor had given him. Instead, as she put down her demitasse of Turkish coffee, she blurted out in Armenian, Your sons, the shadow they cast is not yours. Then she rose, walked up the stairs to her bedroom, and shut the door. And this is all true. Each one of of uh, Mardiros's boys was struggling to find his place. Uh, Varkis, the youngest and probably the smartest, uh, was basically just using all of his spending money on weed. Um, Ara, who was pent up and quirky, the second youngest, was addicted to painkillers. Oh, um, no. Dikren, the oldest, had found the Lord and was preaching salvation during the day. Like, literally, he b- was like a born-again evangelical Christian and would, like, stand on the sidewalks with a bullhorn, like, oh, preaching geez. preaching the word of God and then coming home and telling his family they were all going, to, uh, they were all headed to hell. Now, he had become a born-again after a scandal in 1997 that had cost him his his dream of being a lawyer. He was a a top student at Woodbury University, but he had been caught in an elaborate scheme to cheat on the law school entrance exam. Now, he had to pay a fine and do probation. Uh, He didn't go to jail or anything, but there was no uh, credentialed law school was ever, ever going to accept him into their program after he did this. So his dream of becoming a lawyer shot to shit of his own doing. Um, And then he became born again and stood on sidewalks yelling at people that they were going to hell. And then there was Steve, who was like the second, uh, the second oldest son. And he was the one who was most like Mardiros. He was charming. He was smart. He was bright. He was probably, of all of the sons, the one most likely to actually take over like the family capable, business for yeah. his dad. But see, he had a different kind of weakness. Um, in the year 2000, he had gone to the 777 Motel in Sherman Oaks on a winter night to meet a sex worker. But he didn't know that she had had a listening device like on her broadcasting to her pimp who then stole all his money while she was doing her thing with him. The pimp snuck in, stole all of his money and they took off. Now, Steve chased the pimp and the sex worker on the freeway, like high speed chase style. 
and he shot his gun at their car. And Uh luckily didn't hit. But I mean, like there were bullet holes in the seat that the pimp was like sitting in. He just didn't get hit. So he was basically um, charged with two counts of attempted murder, Vanya. Now, he was like facing life in jail. His bail had been set at $1.4 million. It was serious. Like, and also he was the son of like the chicken king of Los Angeles. So Mm -hmm. sometimes I feel like it gets a lot of attention, which then maybe inflates certain things. But if the verdict didn't go his way, as I mentioned, life in prison. This is like the one son that maybe could have could have done something, you know. But because of a technicality, the prosecutor made a mistake during trial and told the jury about a prior crime that was committed by someone who wasn't Steve Iskandarian. So he like mentioned a prior crime committed by Steve, but it turned out he was talking about somebody else. And this led to a mistrial. Oh, yeah. And so basically not wanting to retry it again he pled to a lesser charge and he did a uh, a year of work furlough and was let go but this is something that hangs over your head you know like his four sons that he's like the only thing that is important to me when I die is that my business this like multi-million dollar family business will all go to to these four boys so part of me is like I get the like wait what of his sisters and mom in that moment when he says that um, but you also want your kids to be taken care of. And if you know you're dying, I mean, shoot, anytime I I've had it. like a real bad anything, I'm like, oh my God, is somebody going to be able to take care of my kids? I mean, these are adults and whatever, but sure, no, I, I mean, understand and, where and he's also, coming from. And also it's his business, you yeah. know, like he's yeah. not, he's not saying I want them to get your Zanku chicken, mom. Yeah. He's like, I opened these, uh, like four other locations that belong solely to me and I'm leaving them to my son. Uh, now whether or not they were going to do well with it, well, that was that was anybody's guess. Like, you have yeah. no way of knowing that, right? But after telling his mom of his diagnosis and the wish for his sons to take over Zanku Chicken, Marguerite stopped speaking to her son. What? Every day. she Now, she lived with them. She lived with Rita and um, Arderos and their boys. Every day, she would come home from work, come into the kitchen for a glass of water, and then head upstairs to her room without a word. She never asked him like how things were going. He's like deteriorating. He lost like 60 pounds. His hair is falling out. He's in chemo. Now, the cancer in his brain had started causing Margeros to have kind of like strange, or people attributed it to the cancer, like the fluid buildup, causing him to have these strange and horrible thoughts. And one day he walked into his mother's bedroom in their family home where they all live together. She had the master bedroom, by the way, in this family home. Like she was... Okay, the I, there's a little something shady on that. Maybe she right. was a bit of a bee. I, I mean, yeah. So I think she might have been kind of cold, you know, yeah. for sure. I don't think she was like affectionate. But he goes into her room and he picks up the only photograph that she has anywhere. And it's right on her bedside table. And it's a photo of Marguerite and Marderos from Lebanon when he is just a boy. So it's a picture of him and his mom. It's the only photo she has in her room. He takes it out of the frame, tears the picture in half. The side of the photo with his mom's picture, he sets on fire. And then he crumples in his hand the side of the little boy him in the photo and walks out of the bedroom. Now, coincidentally or not, we can discuss this. Uh, uh, two days later, the uh, Iskandaris' mansion in Glendale caught fire, like serious fire. So much so that like, uh, Rita and Marderos were trapped on the balcony outside of their bedroom and had oh, to be no. re- could not get out of the house, had to be rescued by firefighters. Um, now, how that fire started, no one knows. Some say like in his kind of like delusions that he was going in and out of because of the brain cancer that he thought that like him lighting that photo of his mother had somehow like sparked the fire. Some people suggested that maybe uh, Marguerite started the fire because she was pissed that he burned her photo. Yeah. And everything else that she was already pissed. But anyway, they had to move out of the house while it was being fixed into a hotel. But Marguerite didn't join the family at the hotel. She took her belongings and she moved in with her daughter, Zovig. So Marjorie's younger sister. Okay, this is another excerpt from Los Angeles Magazine. Over the following year, as he lay dying, his mother never once called him. Neither did his sisters or nephews. 
His treatments had caused a buildup of fluid on his brain, and he was thinking all kinds of crazy thoughts. He told Steve about setting the image of his mother to flames and how that image had come back to light the fire that had burned the house. So I guess I mentioned that earlier. In more rational moments, he thought that a mother capable of disowning her son at the hour of his greatest need, a son who had dedicated his life to her, was capable of engineering great mischief when he was gone. Yes, the Zankus he had built belonged to him alone, and he believed the trademark was his too. But how could he be certain that his mother and sisters wouldn't challenge that inheritance of his wife and sons after his death? So basically he becomes convinced in this last year of his life as he's dying, as his mother never once calls him, never checks in. His, I mean, that's crazy. His, it's insane. It's insane, right? And it makes sense. So he's starting to convince himself they're planning some kind of like hostile takeover. Like when I die, they are going to figure out how to steal my restaurants that belong to my sons from me. All right, so that's the end of the excerpt. Now, on the morning of January 14th, 2003, Margeros woke up. And he took a shower and he got dressed, which was unusual because he was pretty much bedridden at this point. Uh, after getting dressed, he reached into his closet and grabbed his 38 caliber revolver, stuck it in his coat pocket. Then he jammed his 9mm semi-automatic browning into his waistband. Now, Rita would recall this day that he came down the stairs in a white silk suit one that he had not worn for 20 years, but because he had lost so much weight, he was like able to fit into it again. This recollection is actually incorrect, as we learn, like when you go through the article, this is just what she remembers, but he wasn't um. actually wearing the suit, but it, it just kind of shows you that like she, her last memory that she's telling herself is of her husband, like returning to his, his glory days when he was the most beautiful man to her, which I was just like, oh. Um, he told her that he was gonna go see an old friend at Zanku's, and he left. But Mardiros had no intention of going to Zanku Chicken. Instead, he drove to his sister Zovig's home, which was only a few miles from his own. When he arrived, the housekeeper ushered him into the dining room. His sister had just like hopped out of the shower, so she came down like toweling her hair. Uh, the two sat down and drank lemonade, and they chatted for like half an hour until Marguerite got home from work. She, when Marguerite came in, she greeted her daughter, then her son. The housekeeper poured Marguerite a glass of lemonade and then quickly retreated downstairs so that the family could speak privately because clearly there was like some familial tension. Yeah. And these are like the three people kind of at the heart of it, I guess. Um, so Marguerite, Zovig, and Margiros chatted for about five minutes. Um, there's no information about what they were chatting about and if it started off cordial and became heated or if it was just like a throwaway empty you know like well, how's the weather blah 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 conversation but about five minutes went by after the housekeeper left when Mardiros pulled the gun from his waistband and shot his sister Zovig point blank in the head oh god uh then of course as a reaction to that Marguerite leapt up from the table and began to run but Mardiros caught up with her and blocked her exit from the dining room he then pointed the gun at her and she begged him twice please don't shoot me please don't shoot me and then he shot, he fired a bullet into her chest. She fell to the ground on her back. And then he walked over his mother, stood over her body, straddling her body, and shot her eight more times oh, directly dang. in the heart. Wow. As he looked around the room, he saw his 23-year-old nephew, Hagup, trembling on the staircase. Oh, so God. his nephew had been home, had clearly, you know, heard something either coming or going but he was like trembling on the staircase and I think that's how we know like what she said I think he oh. was like the the witness tell of this then um Marderos walked into the living room sat on the couch and shot himself in the head that's so insane and so as you know the owners of What's not a mom and pop? It is a it is basically a chain restaurant, but it was like a it was a unique to L.A. This family sure. was really well known in their community. They were very philanthropic, especially Margiros. He was very giving. Like his legacy would have been nothing but he he gave you know all of us immigrants who came here to California. He gave us a taste of our home, and he gave money, and he donated food, and he did all these things. But instead, in an act that nobody can truly understand, was it? Was it anger at his mother? Was it crazed delusions because of the brain cancer, like ravaging his brain? Um, clearly, it was premeditated. Yeah. Uh, but nobody, you know, they say that the little uh, 
the little uh, old ladies in Glendale, they would be like, there was a quote, and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to misquote it, but I think they said something like, let's sit crooked and talk straight, like trying to, <laughs> to talk about the story. So it was something that people talked about all the time and would like bat back and forth what they think happened. Some people think, again, he became crazed because of the cancer. Some people th- think he was so angry at them that he wanted to kill them because I guess that's like one of the, that is like the ultimate that you can commit. Yeah. in um, Armenian culture is for a son to take the life of his own mother. Yeah, I mean, maybe it was a bit of a both because it seems like, you know, he was dedicating all of his life to her feeling seemingly and then he felt rejected and the rejection rejection can really F people up. Absolutely. And then other people thought that it was fated, like your life is written and you have no control over how it's how it goes. And so this was always just going to happen. Mm. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about the aftermath, but if you are at all fascinated by the story and you want to hear like what went down with the Zanku chickens after his death, like oh, yeah. his great fear. So basically, the whole family is devastated. Now, the cousins, so the sons of Zovig and the sons of Margiros, they grew up like brothers, right? Yeah. Like they were super tight. And um, the surviving sister, Hagen, was like best friends with Rita, the surviving now widow. And they all like kind of consoled each other um, in the immediate after after effects of all of this but you know just a short while after that um the lawsuit started so rita after spending her entire life from 19 years old like in 1975 to 2003 she was a stay-at-home mom she is now forced and thrust into her husband's position um as owner and operator of zanku chicken like it's on her she's she's like oh shit she has to step in now she surprised everybody and she she kind of really excelled at it, but it was new to her and it wasn't long before the lawsuits came in. So now the surviving sister Hagen actually sued Rita, took her to court for the rights to the Zanku chicken trademark because Margiros had owned the trademark for Zanku chicken, but it had lapsed in the year 2000. So three years earlier it had lapsed and he had never like re trademarked it or re yeah. like upped on the, whatever that is. Um, and so now his sister saying, no, we we have the rights as like the original Zanku. Anyway, the judge decided that both sides actually had the rights to the trademark. So they both get it and everyone's unhappy because everyone's <laughs> getting it. But instead of like one person getting it. Um, Rita actually has since opened two more Zanku chickens. She opened one in Burbank and one in West Hollywood. I believe the. Uh, the. Uh, I call, I'll just call it the Hagen side of the Iskandarian, the Iskandarian uh, family who owns just the original Zankus, I believe they've opened a couple more. Um, it's all still the same, like, recipes, because they all have access to that. It's all still Zanku chicken. But, I mean, there's a lot there in terms of, like, wow. what happened to his what happened to his boys, what happened with the family. So if you're interested in, like, a more in-depth, like, telling mm. of, of the reality of what happened after Mardiros made this decision to end the life of his mother and sister and then take his own life um it's quite a read it, it goes on for like it's like you know several more pages wow. after we get to the murder but that is the story of the zanku chicken murders uh and it's just it's one of those ones when i was reading about it i was like i mean family people you love are the people that can also like make you the most angry sure. right and so part of me is like there's something very like understandable, not in the murdering stuff, but like right. in the feelings of like rage, betrayal, hatred. But also part of me is like, can I maybe see it from the mother's side who's like spent every moment of her life making this garlic paste, working her ass off. Mm. And she believes that the that the business should get go to the whole family, not just the sons of her son, you know, and like maybe feeling that betrayal and like the complications that arise when you just don't talk about why yeah. you feel upset. Um, I just thought in a strange way, like even though the outcome, I can't wrap my brain around at all. I was like the dynamics of this family and this restaurant and this food and this passion. It really did remind me of like the the family in the movie. Oh yeah, absolutely. Albeit with a with a very unhappy ending. Yeah. So that's my tie-in to my big fact. I think that's it's fascinating. I think it's very interesting and and I I I cannot believe that story honestly especially being armenian it's like people family is like everything but you know what every everybody's human and all sorts of weird stuff happens i feel like the thing that i learned is do not spoil your kids <laughs> like honestly like that's or or maybe that's not it maybe it's like the 
let's see, the the shit we put on children, whether it be like, all I did was come to this country. I want you to have a good life. You, I give you this and then you're going to give me what I need. You know, like you have a perfect right. life. Or the mother being like, you know, um, you're going to take care of me forever. Uh, this is what you, what I expect of you. It's like unrealistic expectations and then spoiling. So it's a mixture of that. That's what I learned. Yeah, it's like don't put unrealistic heavy expectations on your children but then also give them everything and access to all they could ever want and think that they're going to turn out totally well adjusted and cool they're going to be effed up and they're going to spend that money on stupid shit well yeah um yeah i feel like what i've learned is that it's important to communicate your feelings it's important to say like hey this is how i feel and this is what i'm going to do and i need you to love and respect my choices so like in the case of the movie this is who i love dad this is what i'm gonna do and they get on board because they talk about it. It stops yeah. being a secret. And I just feel like, and I know that actually in the article, you know, like Rita and Steve both. So his son, Steve, and his wife, Rita, say like, God, if I had just like insisted on making them speak at some point during that last year yeah, to like try to bury the hatchet, like could this whole thing have been prevented? Um, and of course, we'll never know the answer to that. But yeah. if, I mean, to carry that guilt around sucks. So I guess what I learned is like, if you got beef with your family, talk about it. Talk it out. I love that. Make it work. And if you can't make it work, then have a good conversation about why it can't work and then lovingly part ways. <laughs> I agree. That's my takeaway good from this story. One. Guys, this episode has been so intense and I love it. It's a big, fat, crazy episode. Thank you so it much is. for listening. And Avrin, thank you for that story. Of I'm course, definitely going you. to. I want to find out. I hope they're okay. I mean, they're probably not okay. The brothers. Yeah. The it's, um, as I'm, I'm seriously like type in Google Zanku Chicken Murders and the article by Mark or Ox. It will be the very first thing that pops I'm gonna up. Look. I'm so gonna anybody look who wants to read this, like dive in. It is it's a really beautifully written article and there's a lot more that I didn't get to at all. Um, and Vanya, thank you for your coverage of just such a feel good, fun movie that That's now right. I want to rewatch. I was going to say, we if love you're in the you, mood, yeah. it's on HBO max. Go for it. I got HBO max. I might just do that. All right. But we love you, Rom criminals. Yes, we do. And we hope you have a big fat, crazy week. That's right. <laughs> and we will see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Rom crime.